All right, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to grab one. We're going to be in the book of First Peter chapter 5. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we have some Bibles out in the lobby. Uh, we also have the luxu- luxury of a giant screen in the scripture will be on it behind me. Again, welcome to Refuge this morning. So glad that you are here. Um, if I haven't met you, I see a f- couple new faces. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're going to look at uh, kind of an interesting section of Scripture, if we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God for profitable for the people of God, then, then there's no Scripture that we can come to and say, this doesn't apply. Um, but this Scripture will definitely apply, especially in our time together this morning. So without further ado, I hope you have gotten to that point. At First Peter chapter five verse one, hear the word of God this morning. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One more time, let us pray over the reading of God's holy word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that it was my voice that spoke. It was your word that our ears just heard. I pray, God, that you know, we, we may have come in here looking for something deep and maybe a specific word. God, it, we just heard it. It's your word. It's in your infallible, authoritative word of God that we pray that would sharpen us and would make us more into the image of Christ our Lord Jesus. And that you would be mighty to save in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have paused our brief, well, it's not a brief study, our long study of the Gospel of Mark to kind of look through the church. And just a quick two-week, really short series, I want to wrap it up in considering the priority which the New Testament gives to the establishment and the of effective church leadership. If you were here last week, we talked about what the role of the body of Christ is, and we looked at 1 Corinthians, where Paul gives uh, an analogy of the body of Christ is like your body. And it's like, look in the mirror, and this is what the body of Christ. Some are fingers, some are uh, pinkies, some are heads, some are chest and arms and limbs and, and rear ends, and we get all of these parts of the body, and that makes us unique. And so we d- established that each of us, we have our specific role to play in the church. And when we're not playing that role, we end up handicapping the church so that it can flourish in what God wants it to be. And we also discovered that, that your role is not the entire role of the body. So, so that could just let us breathe. That, and so what that means for me is that I, I don't have to play every single part in the body of Christ. I let all of us flourish with the giftedness that God has given us. And so today I want to kind of take an even deeper look of what that means for kind of a biblical role of 
church leadership. And so the New Testament is going to give us and really give us an establishment of this, what it looks like to have effective church leadership. And, and I want us to, to kind of go through this. And how are we going to determine what this looks like? Well, we're going to look at a few sections of Scripture outside of First Peter. You don't have to turn there. You can write these down or maybe just mark it uh, in your Bible. Acts chapter 14. If we're going to look at a couple, this would be one I would look at. In verse 23, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And then in Acts chapter 20, you probably have one of the most moving accounts of uh, someone uh, leaving and, and moving on to a different mission where Paul addresses the church of Ephesus and he tells them that I am going where pain and suffering and the Spirit is leading me towards these things, and he's heading back to Rome, and, and the elders weep, and he appoints them, and he tells them, I want you to be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And the reason why this is an, a heavy emphasis for us, and he says this, I know that my, after my departure, there will arise from among you fierce wolves who will seek to actually eat the flock and draw people away after them. So the big problem arises not that there's going to be a huge problem from outside the church, but there's going to be a huge problem from inside the church where there would be people from within who would try to lead people astray with all of the teachings of this world to try to get people to stray from the word of God. And, and it's for that reason that in Titus chapter 1, He's having been left in Crete, and Titus is, and he will straighten things out and appoint elders into the town there. And when he writes to Timothy, who is essentially Paul's apprentice in the faith, he provides him with significant instruction, particularly in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and then again in chapter 5, and you read these portions of scriptures, you discover that in each instance, the task of leadership is a shared task that the burden of the church doesn't fall upon one individual, but the burden of the church is granted to a group of individuals. Let me say that one more time, because you don't need to miss that for our conversation today, that the burden of the church is not meant primarily for one individual, but the burden of the church was established to have an effective leadership for a group of people. You, you see this in 1 Peter 5 that we just read. You'll notice that it is the plural to the elders. He doesn't say to the pastor, to the archbishop. He does not say to the uh, whatever you want to insert there in our cultural uh, standards of church. He just says to the elders, and elders is just a word that can be simultaneously used for pastors, and we'll look into that in just a moment. Now, my question is, is that what type of men are these elders? You can go through the New Testament and find that these, these guys were just simply nobodies, and you can go as far back as the Old Testament, particularly in Exodus chapter 3, where God goes to a man named 
Moses into a fiery bush, and he tells Moses, hey, you are going to go before Pharaoh, Pharaoh of Egypt, and you are going to tell Pharaoh that I am taking the people of God, and we are getting out of here. And that's my paraphrase, if I can. And so we find this. He tells them, hey, let my people go. And so they cross over eventually. A lot of things happen in order for this to, to come to fruition. But Moses eventually leads the people out of Egypt across the Red Sea. And God raises up Moses as a leader for God's people. And he tells Moses, I'm going to influence you to these people. I want you to instruct them. Like, what a task. Like, surely no one is capable of going before the most wicked army of the ancient time and tell them that you are going to let all of these slaves go and we're going to go where God is leading us. Moses somehow got into this situation. Was Moses a volunteer? No. Did Moses send in his resume? No, he did not. It would be funny though, dear God, if you're looking for anyone to liberate your people, I suggest you check out my exquisite resume. I was brought up for 40 years in Pharaoh's lovely empire. In fact, I knew Pharaoh, and we were quite acquaintances, if I may add. I am the greatest guy that has ever lived, dear God. If you would like to inquire with me, you can email me at moses at thebest.com. No, Moses did not do this. How odd would that be? Moses did not send in his resume. In fact, this is going to be an interesting, interesting story of Moses. For 40 years, he is in the courts of Pharaoh. Oh, but the fight. You know, the one where he brutally murdered a man singly with his bare hands. That's quite a task because he's doing this to a soldier And then he flees for 40 years. Was it the 40 years of him being a somebody that God was impressed with? Or or perhaps it was the 40 years of him being an absolute nobody in the wilderness. And when Moses relearned that he wasn't some spectacular person in the courts of Pharaoh, but he learned that he's just a nobody out in the fields and the wilderness That's when God said, hey, Moses, it's time to go liberate my people. Moses did not send in his resume. And do not miss this in passing that the framework of the church of God, God is not looking for people who bring their resumes to the table. Oh, I've been leading worship for 10 years. Oh, I've been teaching the Bible. Oh, I've led small groups my whole life. Oh, I was a a born-again Christian out of the womb and filled with the Spirit. I was this and I was that. God does not care. In fact, God would tell you to sit down because he's not looking for somebodies. He's looking for people who in their soul realize I'm just a nobody. And throughout the Old Testament, and throughout the history of the church, God did not use the prominent people of society to bring about his kingdom work. He used the nobodies. 
these men that God is speaking through, these disciples that we read about, these guys were just absolute nobodies. Peter, who is writing this letter, urging them about to shepherd the flock, he was just a fisherman, a nobody. Now Moses finds himself very frustrated. We'll get back to 1 Peter chapter 5, I promise, in just a moment. But no, Moses finds himself very frustrated with the people, and he's frustrated with God, and so God says, I'm going to appoint the 70 elders to you, and so gather them up together, and we are going to appoint them as leaders and as elders And so this sets in motion kind of this biblical theme and this narrative of Scripture that leadership is not about one single person, but it's about a plurality of people. It's about a group of men that God is using. And when God does something spectacular throughout Scripture, you're going to find that God is gathering up a group of people who are about to do something so spectacular You've come in here and you've navel-gazing. God can never use me. I've been sinning my life. I, I keep finding myself in this pattern of sin and shame. And you don't know my past, Matthew. And, and God would say, you are, the, you are the, the person that I want to use because you think you're a nobody. This word in 1 Peter chapter 5 you'll find that in the Greek it is a plural word to the elders. In fact, the Greek word used is presbyturo. It's used in 1 Peter chapter 5. It kind of gives us the, our English word for presbyter. You've probably heard of that word before. A number of words that are interchangeable uh, for these individuals in Acts chapter 20 that I just read in verse 17. It's presbyturos. And then you read and you discover that there are other types of, of uh, words that are used. Now, you discover that as you read this word, it's interlaced as elder or pastor. It's never used as some type of hierarchical type of leadership. In other words, uh, you don't have um, elder, pastor, bishop, uh, um, archbishop, and then, and then pope or whatever background you kind of come from. Like there's no hierarchy of leadership that's used in the church. You can look through it. You could try to make something of it, but it's just not there. God uses a plurality in a group of these pastors or elders, and they're all on the same level plane, except for one. Notice in verse four that he references who? The chief shepherd. And who is that? Is that Matthew Thrower? Is that Daniel Bush? God, I hope not. No offense, Daniel. I love you. Right, it's, it's, it's Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd, and then we are under shepherds. I don't, that, that may be a new term for you, but that's, that's what we are as, as pastors and elders. We are just the under shepherds, and we bow our knee to the chief shepherd, and all of us will bow our knee to the chief shepherd. So you have these individuals that the Bible would describe as episcopoi, which addresses their issue of authority. They are presbytore, which is the maturity. And then there's another word that I cannot um, pronounce because I did not take Greek. It's, it gives us the responsibility of the shepherd. So you have these three words, in the Greek, 
that defines what the pastor slash elder is. It's a men of maturity, authority, and responsibility. So the pastors are men of authority, men of maturity, and men of responsibility. Now, when you put this all together, and I'm, I've, I'm going to dive into this a little bit more, so just hang with me if you can. So you've discovered then that, that God has not established his church as an autocracy. What is an autocracy? Come on, y'all. You've, you've got to do a little bit more research during the week than this. An autocracy, a single man who is leading a government, right? That's an autocracy. There is one man in charge. He calls all the shots and everyone bows to him. However, it is reminiscent that, it, it is interesting rather, that the church has kind of uh, taken, taken that approach and that model of leadership where there is just one senior lead pastor and he calls all of the shots. That is a very dangerous model of church that I have been in those models of churches and I've seen those leaders fall and fall very far. So if the church is not an autocracy, then it must be, because we're Americans here, it must be a democracy. We've got one guy that we voted in, and we all have a right, and we all are voting in this, in this way. So we're going to go to our church meetings, and we're going to determine the color of the walls. In fact, sorry, you can't determine the colors of these walls because we rent this place. We do not own it, but you're going to determine the color of my walls. You're going to determine whether or not the preacher is going to wear a robe, a suit, or t-shirt and jeans, or maybe he should wear a polo every now and then. You're going to determine the budget for this ministry and this ministry. Like, like this is a democracy, preacher, because this is America, but that's still not biblical. So what then is the model of church? I would present that it is a theocracy. Not to where that the pastor is a king, but to where God is king and he is the chief shepherd of his church. Theos is the word that we get from God. So it's God governed. That's how his church is. And how does he rule? Well, he carries it out, his rule through godly leadership. The godly leaders who are leading from a biblical perspective and they're, they're leading by studying the word of God. And so if you just took that in and you take that in and you hear, well, what about the priesthood of all believers? Have you ever heard of that term before? Priesthood of all believers is where kind of a, an idea that we, we, we understand where we, we are all one level plane. Like we, we all are at the foot of the cross of Christ. We are all the same. And so we all, in essence, have a role to play. Now, yes and no. We are a priesthood of believers to where God has given all of us gifts, that God uses your prayers just like he uses my prayers. My prayers are no more special than your prayers, right? Me reading a Bible verse is, has no more meaning if one of you came up here and read the same Bible verse, right? Holy Spirit's not going to come down and just because Matthew read it and someone else didn't read it. That's the priesthood of all believers, that we've all been empowered by the same God, by the same Holy Spirit. But a congregation that sits down and they try to map out everything and 
and they try to do the whole meetings where we establish this budget and we, we determine what type of utensils we're going to use. That has no effectiveness because we're going in all directions. So the priesthood of all believers comes in. We believe in the priesthood of, 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 priesthood of all believers in the same way that Christian parents who have Christian children the Christian parents and the Christian children are all equal before Christ. That means if my children are saved, they are believers in Christ and they are my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Now in no world would that mean that little Nora right here at the young age of 11 years old would begin to boss all of us around and we would abide by her rule and tyranny. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But how foolish would Marin and I be if we allowed her to parent us? If we allowed her to tell us what to do? If we allowed her to set the budget in the house? You know how crazy that would work out? Now, I do know parents who allow their children to parent them, but that's not for today. Okay, moving on. In the same way, God has ordained a, a pattern for effective leadership in the church to where everyone doesn't say, I'm the pastor or I'm the elder. But God has given us in this model that we can have leaders that we can go to that can help set the parameters of our, parameters of our theology and help lead us and equip us for service and ministry. So the priesthood of all believers is to encourage personal devotion it is not to establish this corporate democracy. Now, I know some of your churches that you may have come from, you, you may have kind of come from that model where it is a more democratic view of leadership. It's just not biblical. Now, I want you to go back and I want you to wonder, as you go back in 1 Peter chapter 5, do you find it odd that all of the designations that might have been given to these individuals, it is the one of a shepherd? So you don't want to find that odd, especially we'll find it odd in America because we're not quite sure what a shepherd is. It, it could have been, he doesn't, but he doesn't say that be executives of God's church. He doesn't say be vice presidents. He doesn't say be CEOs of God's church. He doesn't say, and he doesn't call for managers to come forth of God's church. Nor does he say, um, just think of the picture of the athletic world. He doesn't say be coaches of God's church to rally the team and to, and to hype them up with a whistle around your neck blowing and, and flagging everyone who screws up. He doesn't say that either, nor does he say this picture doesn't come out of the world of academy or the universe, university where there's a big-headed man with, and no offense if anyone's, that wasn't a hit to you, Rick, at all, but someone who is very well-esteemed and very smart about, let's put it, that's a nicer way to say it. I always stick my, mouth, my foot in my mouth every Sunday with a big book opening it up and telling you 
what to do. He doesn't. He, he, he draws our attention and he draws a picture that comes from the fields of Judea. Shepherds. Of all the things and all the pictures and all of the models that God could have described and said. God is saying, now let me give you what's in my mind's eye. Let me give you a picture of what I'm thinking here. It's not a fella in a suit. It's not a guy in the top executive suite. It's, it's, it's not a guy running around the field with a whistle. And it's not a guy dispersing information. Effective shepherding involves the ability to plan. Yes, I don't want to minimize that. So maybe it is a little bit a part of a business approach. Effective leadership, it does involve the ability to coach. So maybe there is this athletic model. Um, effective leadership is the ability to research and to teach. So it is a part of the academic model. But saying all of that, that the image that God has is this weathered-faced, rough-hand person that has a smell of his sheep and knows his sheep very well. Because the shepherd demands this tenderness, this firmness, and it also calls for a tenacity in the face of trials. In verse 2, it could be translated as to feed the flock. Maybe your translation says that, that the shepherd to feed the flock. Because clearly the shepherd's ultimate responsibility then is to feed the flock. We're feeding with the word of God. We're not here to entertain. We're not here to, um, to stoke you. We're not here to, to pet you down. You pet dogs. You don't pet sheep. You lead sheep. You don't entertain the sheep. You, you lead them and you feed them. And that's ultimately what we are here to do with the word of God. That's what he writes to Titus when he says, I want you to appoint elders and, and to teach who hold firmly to the truth so that they can encourage others by sound doctrine and so that they can refute those who don't know what they're talking about. That is the role of the under-shepherd or the pastor, that they are a nobody and that they are regarded as a nobody. And they are feeding and they are leading the sheep and he is not an individual but he is among a plurality of pastors. Doesn't this seem different than the American model that we're used to? Does it? We're used to one man, lead pastor, senior pastor. He tells us what to do. He's there at every call. He's there for this and he's there for that. He's, it's one guy. Right? Isn't that what we were taught? Isn't that what we grew up in? How did we, we move away from this biblical approach 
to leadership and the church. Now, some of us, we, we've probably began to think when I started this whole thing out with saying, why are we talking about biblical leadership? What does that have to do with me? That's a silly question. It's a silly question because it has everything to do with us. That when we come to a church and we belong to a church, we're not submitting ourselves to one single person. That can go wrong. Jim Jones, anyone? Um, Think about the culture we live in. Because when man has when all the power, the power will corrupt him, absolutely. So why have we been doing this model of ministry for so long in our churches? When the Bible is clear in its approach to effective church leadership. Well, I, I, why aren't you preaching about marriage? Or why aren't you doing something about you know, how my life can be better? Again, I would just say that's just silly. This is the word of God. And the reason why I'm not doing that is because for the first 350 to 400 years of the early church, do you think they were around um, calendaring out their sermons and saying, hey guys, for the first four weeks of the year, we're going to talk about marriage. For the second four weeks of the year, we're going to discuss, you know, whatever, hot cultural topic. No, there was one topic among the church. And that there was a lamb who took on the sins of the world. And he died for us. And he was resurrected. And he ascended to the heaven. And then he sent the Holy Spirit and established the church. And he now reigns as the chief shepherd. And we are his chief, are are his under shepherds. And then we are together collectively the church. That's what the theme of the church was for 400 years. I want to just close, but by closing, I mean I've got 10 or 15 more minutes. That was my childhood charismatic self coming out. I want to follow after this model and reject an American model of the church leadership where there is one man worshipped, one man adored, one man who is expected to be at everyone's beck and call. I want to reject that and say that's not who we are. That's not the model of ministry that we are going to be. And I want to invite you to participate in that. I want, you, I want to invite you to say, you know what, we'll, we'll come in agreement with this. So I'm going to ask Dan and Robin to come up. What, what I want to do as a pastor here is lead us into greener pastors and, and have us model after a church leadership so that when, when one day, when I'm long gone, and I hope that's a long time from now, the people that we leave behind in this church will say, I'm so glad that they fed me the word of God. And they did not compromise on the word of God. They did not entertain me. I'm so glad that they did not try to tickle my ear. 
I'm so glad they weren't trying to focus on being something that they were not. If you want to be entertained, I'm sorry. If you want to be tickled, I'm sorry, which sounds really weird (laughs) and problematic. You can rest assured I'm not coming up behind you to tickle you. But if you want to be fed the word of God, this is your place. I've invited these men up here because I want to share with you that I want you to understand that this is a model that we go after to where that our leadership is a plurality of pastors. It is not led by one single individual. I am a pastor. I am not the pastor. Daniel is a pastor here, but he is not the pastor. Robin is a pastor here, but he is not the pastor. We could come up with fancy titles. We can't find them in the Bible. But we're just under shepherds of the flock that God has given us. So we share these responsibilities together. And if I were to give us some type of title, which I don't think I should, but I will, is that my role is teaching and theology. That's my gift. I guess we can, we can identify it because it's a gift, right? That's my gift. I'm a pastor of teaching and theology. Robin would be a pastor of our worship. And Daniel would be a pastor of our leadership and ministries. Here are some of the reasons why we want to approach this model of ministry. And I've got these four, um, five points. Because we believe that a plurality of leadership is biblical. Now, this is just what I have been preach- just teaching on these past 30 minutes. It's odd to see Christian leaders do things by themselves in the New Testament. Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs. Um, Paul makes it clear for the most part that he even works with a team. It's not Paul by himself. Even our God expresses himself in this commune type um, triune nature between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God's plan for us includes that we are not alone. We were meant for community. From this we can say that our role in leadership is best when we are doing this together. The second reason why I believe that this is a good model approach for us because the three of us have a gift of brotherhood. I've known these men for a really long time. I didn't just meet them here in Utah. In fact, we all came here together from Georgia to be with you. It's a gift for us, and we believe it's the best gift when it's used for God's church when it's available. We know that this does not happen in in a lot of churches, but our unified camaraderie gives us this option. Thirdly, it empowers us to operate in our gifts. Our multi-lead pastor or multi-pastor model reflects the strategy of Paul as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week where he describes the body of Christ functioning more powerfully as a unified but diverse group. So we have the same philosophy of doctrine 
convictions, but we also find that our unique gifting make us more effective. We believe that when we are better together, when we are working together than apart. Number four, it increases wisdom and decreases the burden. So if we are a pastor-led church, and I understand a lot of churches are scared of that elder-led, pastor-led model because they fear it will give too much power to leaders, but I think it actually does the opposite. Every decision that we make occurs among spiritually mature and trusted brothers by consensus. Again, we're not a democracy. We don't vote. It's either yes or no. I think when leaders are isolated, when leaders are isolated, they make many of their decisions on their own. This increases the burden on the individual who is alone and increasing an entire church or convincing an entire church of their direction and it decreases the wisdom of the decision. If we are willing to share in the responsibilities and leadership and humility to trusted, proven people, then we will also share the burdens and be less likely to burn out. Fifth and finally, we believe that this continues our approach to fiscal responsibility. This is an incredibly rare approach in our church culture. We pay the pastor. He does what we tell him to do. However, at Refuge City Church, no one, no one receives a salary. We want to keep our budget very slim so that we can continue to meet here and that we can continue to be a church that is generous for the people, not only in our church body, but our community. So all three of us, we work a full-time job, and we never intend to receive money from our church. That is the biblical model approach that we intend to take because we believe this is what the Bible is telling us to do. So just two common questions that I'm sure you may be asking because you are all so very intelligent. But I thought we were supposed to be raising up elders. You thought correctly. In fact, we are in the process right now of establishing and creating a path of eldership within our church. We have not ironed out all of the kinks or the wrinkles. We don't know exactly what all that means. Will they be a lead pastor of teaching or theology or, or worship? Or they just, we can guarantee you they will be a shepherd and they will care for the people of God in this church. So the other question then, well, who do we go for for pastoral care and support? Or any questions about our church? So let's take the first part of that question. You can come to any one of us for any pastoral care questions, for any sick questions, for any, like, I just need help in my doubts, in my, just in my thought life. I need counseling on this, but, you know, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. In fact, it may not be just one of us that comes to you. All three of us may come to the rescue. But you can come to any one of us for any type of need like that within this church. Again, it decreases the burden off of one and increases the opportunities for all three of us. So then what about some of the specific questions? 
So if you, and here's my recommendation that I would make. If you have a question about something that was taught on a Sunday or, or maybe a question of doctrine or theology, I'll take that question. If you have a question about worship, about what we do at, at our gathering service, you can take that question to Robin. And if you have a question about leadership or questions about getting plugged into ministry and, and who's leading what and, and what types of ministries that we offer, you can take that to, to Dan Bush. We want to strive to be the church that God has called us to be. Yet we realize that this is not the typical American approach and American model that most of us are used to. Yet we remain vigilant in the approach of a biblical model of church leadership. Here's what I would suggest to you. One day, I'm going to stand before one person. And that person is not going to be you. And that person is going to be the king of kings. And he'll say one thing to me. He will not say to me, well done, my good and philosophical pastor. Well done with my exegetical preacher, you. You made me so proud when you were preaching down there. He's just going to say, well done, my faithful servant. Because in the end, I just want to be faithful to God and his word. If that means that we do things differently, if that means that our approach to some things in ministry are maybe things that we're not used to, then that's okay because one day I'll stand before him and you won't be around. It'll just be me and King Jesus Christ. So before we move into a time of prayer, I just want to pray uh, for these two guys with us. And, and, and side note, they, they've been elders from the time we started, but the many of us were like, well, who leads the church? Who's, who's the elders? Well, these are the pastors of the church. You're looking at all three of us. So I'm just going to pray over these guys and, and pray for us. 